Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic today on the show. Andrew Schlecht is in the building. I have been talking to Schlecht more and more over the course of the last few months than I have in the past, and it's been a delight. So I'm so glad <laughs> to get Schlecht on the podcast to be able to talk about the Northwest Division and all of the moves that these teams made, or really the lack of moves that these teams made. Right, Andrew? Right. I know. that's. Uh, we don't have a lot to talk about. We, we can talk about... Uh, Josh Giddy a lot if you want. We can, we can definitely do that. This will be a 50 minute Poku podcast. That'll be it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. That, now we're talking. Uh, Andrew just got back from Las Vegas because, as you guys know, uh, I am going on vacation. This will come out at some point uh, in the time that I'm on vacation. I have four of these podcasts banked and i am going to be releasing them in some order i don't know what order yet it's divisions who cares the nba barely cares about divisions now (laughs) so i have andrew on and he's just gotten back from las vegas and he brought up like a really good point to me which is that las vegas is like a different world it's literally a different planet than the rest of the united states it really is not i mean especially during summer league if you're even if you're just a fan of the league just go at some point and stay stay in like the newer part of vegas and just be present because when you walk around you're just gonna see guys doing stuff like amari stoudemire sitting in a starbucks and you're like like what like what's going on here i had Kenyon martin standing behind me in the pizza line which like his his son had played in the summer league and was really fun. And so yep. it was kind of cool to be able to like turn around and talk to him about it. Cause he like lit up when he was talking about KJ, uh, which was really cool, but it is a, a strange and wonderful place to be. So you got, I mean, if you have the chance, you, you just have to go. Yeah. I think this is the first time in the last seven summer leagues that I was not there just because I live in Australia and Australia obviously mm-hmm. is locked down right now, essentially from the rest of the world. But yes, I, I mean, it, it's like a, it's literally a different planet, not only because of the things that you're saying, but also like you brought up the point that you don't know what time it is any point that you're in Las Vegas because these summer league games don't start until like noon Vegas time. So you don't really have to wake up until like 11, like me personally and you, I mean, you have kids for God's sake. Like you probably (laughs) wake up what, like seven, six o'clock, seven o'clock most days. I was up and just like dad brain just activated at like 7 45 a.m every day i'm like what am i doing like i'm here by myself have the opportunity to do whatever i please and my body's like all right get up you gotta yeah. go so <laughs> that's exactly that's like was. i i certainly do not have kids but even my brain is like that and then the other problem with that is that you know if you stay until those last games of summer league like the last time slot i mean you're going out to dinner at 10 o'clock PM and everywhere is open in Las Vegas. So it doesn't matter that you go out to dinner at 10 PM because you can still go out and get an amazing dinner, but time just ceases to exist there in the most interesting, weird way that I don't think I've experienced in any other city other than Las Vegas. Yeah. I went to dinner with Fred Katz a couple of times and he was like, yeah, I got dinner reservations for nine 45 to nine 45 like what does that mean i don't I'm usually like like trying to get my kids in bed by 9 45 so when i'm eating dinner it's like, all right cool all right let's do it yeah it's just like a normal thing there it's so weird it is uh it really is yeah uh you guys where was your favorite dinner place that you went in las vegas uh we ate at momofuku and it was unbelievable i think we went there the first night that we were there and mm. just had like had like some ramen and i told my wife that she's like you paid how much for ramen it's like 38 bucks for ramen i was like it was worth yeah. every penny like it was unbelievable yeah i'll be honest like i like momofuku it's definitely good like i certainly don't mean to disparage the great name of david chang but right. it's it's like fine to me like it's not maybe it's not for me i guess uh but like we don't, we don't have momofuku in okc i'll tell you <laughs> yeah i lived in los, los angeles for like seven years i guess but like yeah. it's 
it's good. It, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not complaining about when I get to eat at Momofuku, but like, if I'm going to spend that money, like, I would rather spend it somewhere else, I guess, than yeah. spend yeah, it yeah. there. Like, I would rather just get fried chicken at Hattie B's than get Momofuku, oh. <laughs> which says a lot about my taste pattern, which I'm in the process of trying to, uh, trying to change a little bit instead of just being as I described it to my friend David Gardner, who also works in media. Uh, I am trying to change my eating habits from garbage disposal that will grab everything in sight to normal, healthy adult human being. Uh, you know, that is, that's where I'm at in my life at this point. <laughs> you got to take baby steps though, Sam. You can't, you can't go straight to that. Cause I, yeah. at least I know that I can't go straight to that. <laughs> Andrew, we're going to talk about the Northwest division here. Uh, and like I said at the top here, I think that this division is more, we're going to spend a lot more time talking about what these teams didn't do than what they did do. And the way that these podcasts work for everyone and for Andrew to introduce him to it is I'm going to read off a list of the transactions that these teams made this summer. And then we will dive into them and talk about them. And at the end, we'll discuss whether or not these teams got better. And in a lot of cases, like I don't know that a lot of these teams got drastically better. Yeah. Which is just yeah. a fascinating I mean, deal to me. Yeah, it is. Some of it's going to be health-based for them, and others it's going to be uh, they didn't get better, and what is about to happen to them is kind of how it makes me feel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's start with Denver. The Denver Nuggets yeah. re-signed Will Barton to a two-year $30 million deal. They re-signed Jamichael Green to a two-year $17 million deal. They signed Jeff Green to a two-year $9 million deal. Uncle Jeff is finally off of minimum contracts. They re-signed Austin Rivers, and they drafted Bones Highland. So that that's just like a normal, typical offseason, and... Mm-hmm. I kind of think that like Denver and Utah had the two best off seasons in this division. And uh, it's really not even close to me. Uh, Denver, in this case, they go out and get someone who could help them in Jeff Green. I think they could maybe use another guard, depending on if Bones Highland is ready. And given the fact that Jamal Murray uh, is still, you know, a, a question mark in terms of when he's going to get back from his knee injury. But this it makes sense for me to Denver for Denver to run it back, just given where they are in their trajectory right now. Yeah, I I really like this Denver team. I like just kind of the tweak of adding Jeff Green to the mix because you can kind of play the same the whole game because you kind of have Aaron Gordon who they play a similar brand of ball. Jeff Green's probably is more of a shooter than Aaron Gordon is, but they're both like pretty good passers, like decent facilitators as like secondary or tertiary guys. So I really like that. Uh, I like bringing Will Barton back. I kind of like having Bones Highland as the, uh, the protege under Will Barton a little bit. I really like that pick too. Like they, they kind of just need some, somebody that has some, some juice off the dribble and that can score and Bones like fits that to a T, so I really like that swing for them. Yep. And the the rest of it's just the same. And a, and a lot of this season is going to be riding on like what does MPJ look like? Has he yep. come back better? Is he stronger? Is he healthy? That's that to me is going to be it because we already know what we're going to get from Jokic. I think that you know what you're going to get from guys like Will Barton. Monty Morris is going to be really steady. I think Aaron Gordon kind of is who he is, but like MPJ can take things to another level, and then. Jamal Murray is the huge question mark. Like, when does he come back? What does that? What does he look like when he comes back? Because this team is a contender if he is healthy and at anywhere close to the level he was before he got hurt. And so I like just the depth that they added, preparing for Jamal to come back, and then and then also like you have the ultimate wild card of Bull Bull. And I've had lots of discussions with people about Bull Bull, and usually the answer I have with what is he going to do in the NBA is like I don't know. Like, can he play in the NBA? Like. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't know. Like I don't know the answer to that, but he sure is interesting at 7 foot 2, the ball skills he has, what he did in summer league was really at least it was fun. Yeah. Uh, so he's just kind of a wild card which I, I don't I, I would guess he's not going to play that he's not in the rotation, but um I would like to see him there. I'd like to see what they can do with him. Yeah. It, it is going to be interesting because this Denver team does have like fairly real need at backup center like they realistically yep. could give him 
those backup center minutes, I would think. And if that happens, I really want to see what he looks like in those minutes. Like they might just end up playing, uh, you know, smaller five minutes, like with Jamichael Green at the center at the end of the day. Like yeah. that, that's something that could yeah. happen. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty undeniable at this point that Bull Bull should be ahead of Zeke Naji in the rotation, I think given what we saw from both of them at summer league and given what we've seen from them in their, I guess like limited minutes in the NBA, but minutes nonetheless. So Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm interested. I've never been a huge bowl bowl fan. If only because I think he doesn't really have a chance to defend at the NBA level, but if he can protect the rim and can make threes and can make high level passing reads, as we've seen, maybe there's a little bit more there and, you can make a trade for the center position at the deadline pretty easily, as we've seen over the course of the last few years in the NBA. Like, I yep. just don't think it's that hard to make that kind of move. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm I'm intrigued with where this is going to go for them, because I feel like there is a chance that they can win a title if Jamal Murray is healthy, but everything, the way that they've structured this off season is counting on Jamal to be healthy. And frankly, maybe that's the right way to go about it because if Jamal Murray isn't healthy, then you aren't going to win a title. It's just not going to happen for this team. And there was nothing they could yeah. do this off season to change that. So why not just build your team and fit it around when Jamal is healthy again and make that work. And then if he comes back and is a shell of himself for whatever reason, uh, we've seen enough ACL injuries at this point to where we should feel okay about him coming back uh, at least by the start of the 2022, 23 season with full health. Uh, if he's something different though, you have to make the adjustments next off season, not this off season. So I, I like what they did. I think they, kind of operated in an intelligent way and you know i really liked what i saw from bones highland this summer as well i thought he was excellent at summer Mm -hmm. league yeah he was really really fun he's the only thing that he's gonna need is some more time just to build his body you know he's he's super thin and it's just really it's hard to make an impact at the nba level if you're under 175 pounds you know and like six foot three i think it's just really tough but he can score and I think that he's a really fun player. And I think that like, I really like adding that mix to uh, what Denver does. And I and I like the fact that they didn't do a whole lot this offseason because they have a, a nice core with Jokic, Murray, and MPJ. And they have a long runway. Like, there's no rush to to make this, like, something immediately uh so i i like that they're not taking like big swings like they got aaron gordon last season let's see how that works let's continue to try to mix him in and see if we can you know get him and Jokic on the same page and i just like that i like just the steadiness of like having a really good team in denver so i think you know if you're a nuggets fan it hasn't been a splashy or exciting off season but i think they for sure will have a good team this year yeah, and you're looking at a situation where their starting lineup is probably something along the lines of Monte Morris, Will Barton, uh, you know, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., and Nikola Jokic. That's still a very formidable starting lineup that I think is going to yep. be difficult to play against. And then you bring Facundo Campazzo off the bench. And P.J. Dozier wasn't really healthy in the playoffs last year, but I thought he took a pretty big step forward when he was uh, on the court last season. And you never know what you're going to get from Bones Highland. And obviously you go out and you sign Jamichael and Jeff Green. So they have some depth. They have the ability to play in the playoffs now as long as Jamal gets healthy. And that, that's kind of what yep. the season comes down to. So I would say they got marginally better this offseason. Uh, yeah. It sounds like you agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I think just just by adding some roster tweaks and then just MPJ just being a year older. Like, yes, yeah. you will be better. Yeah. So uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves have been, I think, like the least active team in free agency this offseason, which makes sense because they didn't really have a ton of space to like give out either on their roster or uh, in terms of like salary cap. They traded for Patrick Beverly. 
Uh, they traded Jarrett Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez, and they traded Ricky Rubio for Torian Prince in a second round pick. I, yeah, it's, yeah, they it's, did that. Yeah, it's it's just a very inactive off season. I mm. I understand why it would be that, if only because again they have essentially capped themselves out by some of the moves they made, including trading for D'Angelo Russell and, uh, you know, giving Malik Beasley a bunch of money. And, you know, I I think they're probably going to try to run back the D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Anthony Edwards, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, Jaden McDaniels, uh, like core of this team and see what happens. I'm not, super enthused about that but I, I guess they have a chance to be really good on offense if it works right yeah if it, if it works they do i just there's just a lot of I, I just don't know what this team's identity is you know like it just it feels like a 12 year old in 2k made a team you know <laughs> where it's just like a bunch of like highlight real guys like they're fun like they got a lot of fun players you know like malik beasley is like super fun anthony edwards obviously like just incredible even Jaden mcdaniels to a degree like fun player really fun d'angelo russell like yeah great put the ball in his hands he's gonna score like how does that fit like how does this puzzle fit together and then like you put patrick beverly on the team and i'm just like okay like i but like a guy that just like kind kind of he fits with that like a lot of those guys though like he's smaller but a lot of their perimeter players are bigger and can sure. at least handle the load as like the lead perimeter player and d'angelo russell and anthony edwards i kind of like the fit of patrick beverly with a lot of their backcourt mates i guess yeah i just wonder personality wise what that looks like with yeah. with carl anthony towns in particular um i have my doubts about that that particular fit but um yeah i don't i don't know i just i just have a hard time envisioning what this team looks like as like a great team or as like a even a good team a team that makes the play in you know i just don't that we're just gonna have to see a leap like we need to see like a pretty big leap from anthony edwards or if malik beasley can put it together or maybe Jaden mcdaniels really pops like he he looked he looked great this summer but like can like they need somebody to pop like pretty big in order to to get to even the play-in level, because otherwise I just don't see it. I, I don't know what they're building toward in terms of defensive identity. It is my biggest problem. Yeah, their three yeah. best players are D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Towns, and yeah. all three of those guys are poor defenders. And Malik mm-hmm. Beasley is going to play real minutes at the very least, and he's an exceedingly poor defender. He might be worse than the all all three of the other ones. So yeah. You can have Patrick Beverly, you can have Jaden McDaniels, you can have Josh Kogi, and all of those guys are good defenders. And maybe they can go out and they can, you know, bring back Jared Vanderbilt, who I thought was really good last year. Like I, I'm a little bit surprised huh? that he's still out on the market. Uh, if I was yeah. Oklahoma City, for instance, I, I would be looking sure. pretty substantially at him. Uh, and I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. talk about Oklahoma City here momentarily. But and, and like I said, like you can bring in Patrick Beverly, but as long as your four key offensive players are this bad on defense, it's just going to be really, really hard to do anything substantial on that end. Like Ricky Rubio started 51 games this year. He's a really good defender uh, as a point guard. They have Jaden McDaniels. They had Josh Kogi this year. Jarrett Culver, when he played, is like a pretty good defender, even though he can't really do anything else. Jared Vanderbilt's athletic. But it doesn't matter when you have three guys out there next to them that are just total non-defenders in the way that Towns, Beasley, Edwards, and Russell are. Yeah, and it's it's not only like the lack of cohesion on the defensive end because there just won't be. There's like there's 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 nothing for it to adhere to. But offensively, like what what are they? Like, <laughs> I, I just I just don't understand the the team building aspect of it, uh, especially just the the perimeter play. Because none of those guys are particularly great passers and aren't particularly great at getting guys involved. And when your very best player is a big man, like that's, it's just a weird, it's just a wonky fit. It's just like this team should be a little bit constructed like Denver, where it's like, okay, like everything is about our big guy. Yep. That's what all of this is about. 
And that's how we make it work. And they took a swing at MPJ that worked wonderful. Like that was just like found money right in the middle of the, of the first round. But the Timberwolves, like you have, like you've had this guy, you've had him for a while and they have just continued to just make these moves where they were just getting like these value plays on players or at least guys that they thought they were getting value on. I mean, obviously there were some deals that weren't uh, great trades like the Angela Russell trade does, does not look great in hindsight, but Still, it's just there's just a there's just a lack of plan. It's just like talent grabs all over the place, and then like we'll figure it out later is what it feels like. And it's like, man, like you're you're wasting one of the best big men in the league in Carl Anthony Towns, and I and I feel like most people don't even know how good he is because he's stuck with this team. And I feel like it's going to be another year of that. Like it's just hard for me to envision uh, them actually getting through the season and, and being relevant. See, like the problem with trading for Malik Beasley as he's like set to enter restricted free agency is that you have to pay Malik Beasley <laughs> after you do that. Yeah. And yeah. the problem with trading for D'Angelo Russell is that you are pairing him with Carl Towns, who also is a non-defender. Like sure. it feels like they've made so many moves to appease Carl Towns, the person Mm-hmm. As opposed to appeasing Carl Towns, the basketball player, and winning games. Because this team, mm-hmm. as constructed, has very little chance to defend. Uh, they just yeah. won't... Like, I, I don't see how they will defend at this point. Uh, and that's a problem. Like, this is not a team that needs these small moves on the periphery. They need to make a big swing. And the problem for trading for D'Angelo Russell is that D'Angelo Russell is very good friends, by all accounts, with Carl Anthony Towns. And the very blatantly obvious move is to move D'Angelo Russell, is to trade him. And that gets tricky now, because then you run the risk of angering Carl Anthony Towns by trading him. Uh, This is the team that makes the most sense for me for a Ben Simmons trade, if we're being honest. Yeah, Um, yeah. Something like D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley, uh, like plus sure. maybe Jaden McDaniels or something like that. Um, they're going to have to throw something else in of value because I think both Russell and Beasley are on negative value contracts personally. But both of those guys could actually be really good in Philadelphia given playing next to Joel Embiid and their ability to create shots. Uh, you put Ben Simmons at the four next to Towns at the five. You essentially play Towns and Simmons in like four or five ball screen actions with Anthony Edwards on the yeah. weak side. Um, you can run ball screen actions. You can run five, four ball screen actions with Carl Towns, uh, handling the ball. You can, uh, have Carl Towns as like the spacing five man on the other side of the set while you run Anthony Edwards, Ben Simmons ball screen actions. Like, to me, that's the thing that makes sense. They have enough young players to do it if they would want to. I I, I would strongly consider their swing being Ben Simmons uh, this summer if I was them. Well, that that's makes them make sense, right? Like that right. gives them a, a high level player that does things that nobody else does on the team. Yep, and that's yep. and that's what they need. They need they need less bucket getters and they need somebody to help connect everything together on both ends yes. and Ben Simmons will do that like that's what Ben Simmons does like we don't know that he does that because all we know is that he didn't dunk the ball that one time you know but if you put him in a situation like this I think if people would their eyes would be opened a little bit because then I would say oh yeah Timberwolves are making the play in I could almost bet yeah. on it if they traded for Ben Simmons Anthony Edwards Ben Simmons Carl Towns as a trio makes complete and utter like flashing lights on the Las Vegas strip sense. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love that. Yeah. That trio of players is absolutely perfect for where the modern NBA is going. And if Philadelphia is serious about trading Ben Simmons, this team has the ability to do that. Like (laughs) you can, like you would absolutely have to move Jaden McDaniels in that deal. You would absolutely have to move D'Angelo Russell just from like a salary and like numbers perspective, I would think. Uh, yes. That is, I, I just keep looking at it and I'm like, this is the move. Like, this is what you should do yeah. if you are Minnesota. Yeah. And frankly, like, there's a real case for 
Philadelphia to consider something like that. But I, I don't know what Philadelphia is necessarily looking for in a Ben Simmons trade right now. I would think they'll be looking for like a true point guard. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll see, I guess. So Minnesota, I don't think they got worse this offseason. I don't like they might win more games because they get healthier next year. Like sure. Carl Towns missed 20 yes. games. Beasley missed 30 games. D'Angelo Russell missed 30 games. Um like they will probably win more games than like the 23 and 49 that they went last year. But in terms of like making a dent and an impact in the West, no, I don't think this team got all that much better. Yeah. No, I mean, it will be, it'll be purely based on health just because those three guys didn't play together like ever. Yep. So it's just that, that will be the biggest thing. And I, and I really, I have my doubts that the Wolves will actually make a trade like you were saying with Ben Simmons just because I think they want to see what these guys look like and then once they see them win 34 games then that should be enough like <laughs> that should be enough of that yeah I, I don't know it, and we don't know what Philadelphia is going to do with Ben Simmons yet we should say like it true hasn't happened yet and it seems unclear where this is going to go so okay let's uh take a quick commercial break and we'll be back with the last three teams Okay, we're back here at the Game Theory Podcast. We are going to run through uh, Oklahoma City, Portland, and Utah in terms of what they did this summer. Let's start with Andrew's dear sweet Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, the most important thing they did this summer was sign Shea Gilgis-Alexander to a mass, max extension. They traded for Kemba Walker and the number 16 overall pick for Al Horford and Moses Brown with like some second round pick swapping within that deal. Yep. They then moved that number 16 overall pick for two additional first round picks in the future. So they got yep. Kemba Walker and two future first round picks for Al Horford, basically. Yeah. On top of that, they decided to then waive Kemba Walker. Do we know how much money Kemba gave back yet to do this? So he gave back basically 10 million per season of the last two years of his deal. Yeah. So like a significant chunk. It basically, the way that I've heard it explained is that it basically allowed them to like roll Derek Favors' money into that deal. And it'd just be like, Derek Favors was like kind of like, poof, like nothing. Like the money's not there anymore. Yeah. And I think it's how it's being envisioned. Yeah, so they traded for Derek Favors as well, uh, bringing him into Oklahoma City along with a future first and I believe a future second, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, and on top of that, they signed Mike Muscala in free agency. I believe that's everything with Oklahoma City, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, look, this the most important thing that they did this summer was the thing they got done. They traded or they extended Shea Gilgis Alexander for five more years, and that's really all that matters. I feel like they got their guy under contract. This is a total rebuilding project that is trying to find stars in the draft. I'm skeptical that they drafted one in Josh Giddy, but I think he's probably a pretty good player. I, I didn't really love what they I didn't love the players they took at their spots in the draft outside of Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but I, I kind of at least like get the semblance of the idea of what's building here with Oklahoma City and I think Sam Presti's very smart. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah, they are they're building kind of a wacky team that they want pretty much everybody to be able to play make from whatever position they're at. And they're also doing this thing where you ask them, like, what position do you envision this player playing? Like a Josh Giddy or a Poku or somebody. And the answer, the, the question could be like, are they a point guard? And the answer you'll get back is they're just a basketball player is like the, is the new thing that's happening. Um, so they really do. They really want to have a like positionless team. And they're drafting players that are kind of positionless. Like even Shea himself is a little positionless. Like he's a point guard, but he's six foot six. And, you know, whenever he played with Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder, he played the three mostly that season, if you were to call his position something. So Josh Giddy, six foot nine point guard from Adelaide. They envision him playing point for them some. They envision him playing on the wing some. They envision him just kind of all over the court. 
uh, Poku is going to be just in like what is he? He's probably a wing two, but they're going to need him to play some four this season because they don't have a lot of guys at that position. Uh, so they even Trey Mann to a degree like he's he was a point primary point guard at Florida, but I think they envision him as an off ball player as well. So they're just trying to do some some weird stuff. Uh, I think some of it is in preparation for hopefully having another star on this team where you have like these connective tissue players, like the guys that Minnesota doesn't have. I think the Thunder have a lot of those type of guys. I think JRE is one of those guys too that they drafted at 32 that they traded two picks. Like he's just, he's a guy that's going to do all the dirty work for you. He's going to play really good defense. He's a good, pretty good passer. He's at least wants to shoot the three ball. Um, need to see more of it to know if I trust that at all. Um, but that's like that's what they want to be. And even Darius Baisley, like, like I'm a little more skeptical of Baisley and what his future is in the league, but he at least profiles as one of those guys. Um, and then they have a couple shooters. Like Ty Jerome is just a guy that's going to just flat out knock down threes. And the Thunder have had trouble finding those guys in the past. So it's kind of nice to have one of those guys just on your roster. But yeah, they've got a long way to go. I think if the Thunder probably had it their way, they would want to be one of the worst teams uh, in the league and then hope to add top five talent to what is kind of, it's a, it's a nice you know roster. They've got some nice players on the roster. Shea is obviously top tier, like a top tier player um, for them, but everybody else is just like, wait and see. And they're all so young that it's just like, all right, take, they're going to be taking their time. They've got lots and lots of rookie scale deals. They have lots and lots of very young young players on this team, and so uh, the name of the game with the Thunder is development. I think that that's absolutely right. If I was, it's funny because like I, I really like that Trey Man pick might have been my least favorite of the first round. I, I yeah. can't emphasize enough how much I disliked it. I did not have a first round grade on Trey Man. I did mm-hmm. not understand it. Like it was that or the Josh Primo pick were the two that I really just did not totally understand. Uh, I had a higher grade on Jeremiah Robinson Earl than I did on Trey Man. <laughs> uh, that checked out in summer league. Uh, just so you know, like that. that I'll, I'll be honest. Completely. I did not watch a ton of Oklahoma City in Summer League after Giddy went out. Like, what was was Trey Man bad? Um, well, he only played two games, so he he was interesting. He missed a lot of shots, but he surprised me in a little bit in his ability just to get to his spot and get the shots that he wanted. You know, like the floater was there. Um, he's able to kind of snake through the lane and and get to where he wanted to go. I was a little bit surprised that he didn't. Like the pull up was like very much available to him, like the pull up three, and he didn't take it. So, and I was kind of under the impression that that was like one of his like major NBA skills was the pull up three. So I was a little confused, but it's it was two games, and then he for personal reasons had to leave uh, Las Vegas. So uh, just not a lot to take away, to be honest, from it. Besides that, he's got there's like some creation ability there, but he's he's got to get a lot stronger. Um, in order to play, you know, quality minutes in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. The, the impression just from having seen him now for three years or so, four years, um, going back to mm-hmm. having watched a bunch of tape of high school and seeing him at McDonald's and all of that stuff. Um, it was just, I get the pull up game. I don't mm-hmm. think he can do anything else. And yeah. He's a, he's always been a really poor defender. Like that's the main reason yeah. that I had him outside of the first round was that he is an exceptionally poor defender, I think, right now. And on the passing front, I don't think he plays selfishly, but it's just not like he's not a great passer, I don't think. Like he just doesn't see sure. available like advanced reads whenever he has to. Giddy, I mean, I just I totally get what they were going for with Giddy in the same vein that you said, just get an incredible connective tissue player for when you have a star. If you didn't think there was a star available at six, seven, eight, because you don't believe in Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Like I, th- that's one that I can at least wrap my head around. It's not the pick I would have personally made, but I, I get that. What one. would you have done? I would have just done? taken Jonathan Kaminga at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. But 
I also I've, had Kuminga kind of higher than argued the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also had Kuminga higher than Scotty Barnes on my board. So like, I think sure. I was probably a little bit higher than NBA teams in general. Than yeah on Kuminga. What what makes you make that argument on Kuminga? I just think he's like the biggest swing of anybody left in the draft at six. Is why I would have taken him. But I think the counter argument is that the Thunder are really intentionally building a team. And if you're not, if you don't have at least some level of certainty that a player is going to be a star, then he needs to fit what you're trying to build. And I think the the argument against Kaminga would be that he doesn't fit. <laughs> like he just flat out doesn't fit what they're trying, what the Thunder are trying to create. And he better like be the focal point in order for that pick to make sense for them. And I I think at the end of the day, um, I'm just guessing, but I'm, I, my guess would be that Kaminga that they didn't view him as that guy, and so they looked yeah. for somebody that that fit. So I think I think that that's to me that's kind of how I I get there on the giddy pick and unfortunately we saw him play five minutes and sixteen seconds in summer league and then yeah I think you're it's not an uncommon tale that uh, people checked out on the Thunder yeah. after he was gone because he was like the most interesting piece by far yeah he really was uh, yeah look Oklahoma City I mean they're probably going to be the worst team in the NBA next year. And that's fine. They, I don't think they have any yeah. illusions otherwise. If they, honestly, if they have it their way, they will be. Like yep. honestly, like that's what that's what this is. That's what this is all about. And I think that there was a like, there's a lot of people in Oklahoma City that understand what the team is doing. And so halfway through the year, when it looked like they were like in the mix for the play, and it's like, well, what are we doing, guys? Like, what is this? Like, this isn't the plan. So I think. I think they will play enough young players, and that's why another reason why I think if if you are a Thunder fan and you understand what the, what they're trying to do, then you can understand why they would just wave Kimba Walker before the season because Kimba Walker's a floor raiser, and yep. it's just an unnecessary thing for where this team is headed. So, uh, yeah, they should be one of the worst teams in the league, really, just due to inexperience. You know, these if all these guys had three or four years under their belt, like I think this could be like a pretty decent team, but they don't. And young players lose games. That's just the way the NBA works. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see Poku this year because he is just the best. Like just watching Poku makes me happy. Uh, what a bizarre yes. player. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see Darius Baisley this year. Like that's yep. that's the guy that's like kind of gotten lost. And I have actually liked more of what i've seen from him than what i think most people have recognized just because he's been hidden away in oklahoma city like he's still learning defensively and he's still like a sub 30 percent three-point shooter but there are a lot of tools there there are a lot of athletic tools that he's shown yeah yeah i'm intrigued this is a big year for 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 baisley without a doubt um he will be extension eligible after this season and the Thunder don't like players to get to restricted free agency, yep. and they usually will extend them or they'll trade them. And so, to me, this is Baisley's future in OKC will likely be determined how he plays this season. So, uh, to me, I'd like to see them not necessarily box him in, but I'd like to I'd like to see him be able to to showcase some kind of like three and D ability, and then like transition like ball handling and transition ability too, because he's got that in his bag certainly. Yep. So I'm I'm interested to see him too. There's a, there's a lot to learn about this team. Like there's there's a lot. I mean, Poku is like at the top of the list because they didn't even let him play summer league because of the plan they have for him this summer, which is just like the most thunder thing ever, which is just right. so great. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot of intrigue for what could and should be one of the worst teams in the NBA. Up next, the Portland trailblazers. So Andrew and I recorded a section on the Portland trailblazers where we completely questioned the direction of what the blazers were doing this off season. Uh, we questioned why Neil Olshay still has a job in Portland. We questioned why uh, they have been thoroughly inactive this summer in an 
offseason where Damian Lillard has really made it clear that he wants the team to be more active in regard to getting better. Then Portland went out and got Larry Nance, who is a guy that I really, really like and think he is about as strong of a fit as what you would find for this Portland team, given what their needs are. So I have deleted the section that Andrew and I recorded, and I'm just going to talk through Portland's offseason here because I think it's worth uh, a more holistic view with the fact that Larry Nance has now been acquired by the Blazers. So the Portland Trailblazers this offseason signed Norman Powell to a five-year $90 million deal. They traded for Larry Nance using a future 2022 first-round pick in a three-team deal along with Chicago, where Cleveland went out and got Lowry Markinen. They signed Cody Zeller to a minimum deal. They signed Tony Snell to a minimum deal. They signed Ben McLemore to a minimum deal, and they drafted Greg Brown out of Texas. So the thing that struck me immediately with this Portland move was more from Cleveland's side. It seemed to me immediately like Cleveland traded for a worse player than Larry Nance and gave him more money. You can certainly make the case that Lowry Markinen fills a real need for them as a shooter, and you can certainly make a case for them that Lowry Markinen uh, is on a better age timeline for the Cleveland Cavaliers than what Larry Nance was. Having said that, Larry Nance is also a guy that fits uh, within Cleveland really well because the other thing that Cleveland needs is a better, is just more good defensive players at the end of the day. And they also need shooting, but I think that they downgraded the defensive side just to improve the shooting side while also giving Lowry Markin in a deal that starts at $15.6 million. I believe he has something like $55 million guaranteed, given John Hollinger's report that he has $6 million guaranteed in that final season of his contract. But I just worry about how they're going to get all of these well-paid big men on the court now because you have... Jared Allen, who you just gave five years, 20 million. And I have a podcast coming with James Edwards next week that is already recorded where I went deep into why I don't really love them giving him that deal. You have just drafted Evan Mobley. And then on top of that, you now give Lowry Markin $15 million a year, uh, actually more like $17 million a year uh, over the course of the next three years guaranteed, maybe $16 million a year, whatever we're parsing now. But you now have $36 million per year tied up in Lowry Markin and Jared Allen while you still have no real two-way answer on the wing because Isaac Okoro uh, still can't really shoot yet. As much as I really like Isaac Okoro as a role player long-term, uh, I don't really think he's the answer for the Cavs on the wing uh, in terms of giving them more offensive firepower on the wing. So basically all of their offense is coming from their backcourt of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and their front court which is essentially just going to be Evan Mobley because Jared Allen's a good rim runner and Lowry Markinen is a great shooter. But in terms of offensive creation, neither of them particularly do that well. So the Cleveland side of the deal really stuck out to me. But given that we're talking about Portland here, I think it's just worth noting how much better this deal makes the Portland Trailblazers. And, and I do think it's... Uh, a deal that makes a lot of sense for them to only have to give up a first-round pick for Larry Nance. This was a team last year that finished 29th in the NBA in defensive rating. The only team worse than them was the Sacramento Kings, who were, if you guys watched Kings games last year, they were an abject disaster defensively. Larry Nance, uh, prior to getting hurt last year, I thought was one of the 10 to 15 best players defensively in the NBA. 
he was all over the place in terms of the ground that he covers uh, in help. He is an exceptional pick and roll defender who can drop. He can switch. He can do a lot of different scheme based things that really help a team be successful. And on top of that, he can play both the four and the five and can even slide out and guard threes, which makes him an awesome compliment to Robert Covington. So even when teams try to, bring Covington away from the basket in the playoffs. Portland now is an answer for that. They can either take Robert Covington off the court or they have a ridiculously great help defender on the weak side in Larry Nance. In addition to having a real rim protector in Yusuf Nurkic uh, that should be able to help counteract a lot of those sets for when teams try to uh, force Larry Nance away uh, or force Robert Covington away from the rim. I'm sorry. So it's an interesting move for them. And on top of that, I think Larry Nance fits a lot of what Portland looks for from its bigs, because the other thing that Nance does exceptionally well is he's an awesome passer who can really handle the ball. Well, Uh, he's not a guy that's going to like cross over guys and take guys off the bounce and create offense that way. But he is a player that uh, is really dexterous with the ball and dribble handoffs. He can drive in a straight line if someone overplays the dribble handoff toward the guard. Uh, The Blazers particularly love running these sets with guys like CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. So Nance is going to fit really, really well with someone uh, like Yusuf Nurkic like Damian Lillard, like C.J. McCollum, because of his flexibility in those sets. On top of that, he's really improved as a shooter over the last few years to the point where uh, I feel pretty good about him knocking down 35% of his spot threes. So this is a deal that makes a lot of sense for the Portland Trailblazers. I actually think that it doesn't totally reshape their team, but it fills multiple holes in a way that the offseason prior to this acquisition just did not. Uh, I would be terrified if I was the Portland Trailblazers prior to this Larry Nance deal of going into a season with just Yusuf Nurkic and Cody Zeller as my bigs. And Larry Nance is not an enormous big man by any stretch. And I think that if one of Yusuf Nurkic or Cody Zeller gets hurt, the Blazers are probably going to have to sign a true center in order to uh, counteract that. The the problem for Portland here is that that true center is something that is important in their scheme. So to have only gone into this offseason prior to this deal, having Cody Zeller and Yusuf Nurkic uh, on the roster, I think was kind of a strange move given their injury histories. And then on top of it, On the wing, they really only went out and got Tony Snell. And I know that Tony Snell had a great year last season shooting the ball. I think he went 50-50, like 95 or something like that uh, from the free throw line because of limited attempts. But he's a very limited player. He's a decent 3 and D guy. Uh, He probably will be able to be their eighth man. But this is a team that even with Larry Nance, I think – is still ripe for a shakeup in some regard. the team is now given Norman Powell this five-year, $90 million deal in addition to the enormous deals given out to Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. And I don't know that we know if those three can play together on a playoff court quite yet. Uh, while Norman Powell is extremely long and has a seven-foot wingspan and is strong for his size, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and Norman Powell across the front line or across the backcourt seems like a way for teams to get their bigger shot making wings in the playoffs matched up onto smaller players that they can take advantage of. Now, what acquiring Larry Nance does is it allows you to counteract that by taking one of Lillard, McCollum, Powell off the court. And in this case, it would probably be Powell. It also counteracts for potential injuries, which, you know, CJ McCollum only played about 50 games last year. So I think that uh, being able to play a more traditional lineup because you have Larry Nance now that can play the four uh, is specifically helpful. And to be honest, I, I would expect Larry Nance to close quite a few games but there's a lot of money tied up in this very small backcourt now. And that uh, seems like a 
bit of a concern given that they still don't really have a great on-ball defensive wing. I know that you can go out and acquire those uh, somewhat easily, uh, at least if you're willing to give back offense in such a move, but uh, it feels like they don't really have the answer on the wing quite yet in terms of on-ball prowess, given that Robert Covington is much more of a help disruptor than someone that uh, is an incredible uh, on-ball defender. So I think Portland is still ripe for a shakeup. The big question here uh, long-term remains just what is the future for Damian Lillard? I think the Nance move helps. I think that they are in a much better position now than they were uh 48 hours ago before they had gone out and acquired Larry Nance. He is a genuine difference maker for this team that helps them fill genuine needs. Uh, This will not be the second worst defensive team in the NBA next year. If Yusuf Nurkic stays healthy, they will probably be something close to, I I would venture middle of the pack. Even uh, if you can start a front line of Robert Covington, Larry Nance and Yusuf Nurkic, given that Nurkic is a pretty good rim protector. Nance and Covington are exceptional as help defenders and rotational defenders. Nance is a really versatile pick and roll defender. And Damian Lillard has gotten better defensively to the point where I don't think he is uh, quite a sieve anymore. And on top of that, Tony Snell can at least uh, defend at a pretty high level as well. So they've, they've gone out and they've really improved their defensive side of the court. And I would venture that in the regular season, they're probably going to win more games than what they did last year. Uh, they went 42 and 30 last year. I, I would think that they probably win something close to 50 games this year, uh, given that it's going to be an 82 game schedule because they have enough offensive creation. They have the superstar. Hopefully they have uh, a bit more health with Yusuf Nurkic and then they have filled their defensive needs. I just worry about getting all of their best players in a coherent lineup uh, together in the playoffs on the court at once, given that their three best players are smaller guards and it's going to be hard to get all of them on the court. Uh, And then their three best forwards are all uh, not necessarily elite on ball defenders. Although I think Larry Nance is pretty good in terms of switchability. So it's a better off season for Portland than what I thought when Andrew and I initially recorded this about a week ago. And I think it's just worth reflecting that and saying uh, that I just, we had to delete that other section and discuss this Nance deal in a bit more detail. But I, I still worry that this team in Portland is probably looking more like the sixth seed again, even with Larry Nance Uh, given the fact that I would still say they're behind Denver, they're behind Utah in their own division. And then on top of it, they're probably behind the Lakers and Warriors and Phoenix Suns. Uh, And that doesn't account for the team that they switched back and forth with seemingly uh, throughout the late stretch of the season in 2021 in the Dallas Mavericks. So I I would say they end up somewhere in the five to seven range. I think I would bet in bet on them more to not have to play in the play in game because I think their defense will be a bit more competent than what we've seen recently. But man, I I am a, I am still of the opinion that this is a team ripe for a shakeup trade in some regard because they need to go out and get just kind of a different feel, I think, in the backcourt as a compliment to Damian Lillard. And again, uh, that I think at this point still falls on Neil Olshay. So let's move on. Let's talk about the Utah Jazz. And Andrew will be back for that section. Let's go to Utah. Utah, they re-signed Mike Conley for three years, $68 million, and what is probably the bargain of the offseason. They signed Rudy yeah. Gay for a two-year $18 million deal. They signed Hassan Whiteside for the minimum. They traded 
for Eric Pascal for like a very protected future second round pick that I, I don't know what Golden State was doing there. That was a weird one to me. Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. They drafted Jared Butler and picked up two future second round picks in draft day trades. And they traded Derek Favors to Oklahoma City for future first and second round or along with future first and second round picks. So I think they're better. I think this is a team that got genuinely better this summer. I, I still worry that they didn't get better in the ways that they need to get better. Like, I think that more than mm-hmm. anything, this team needed athletic perimeter defenders that can help out Royce O'Neal taking on tougher assignments, but like replacing George Niang with Rudy Gay is a win replacing uh, Derek favors at $10 million a year with Hassam Whiteside at the minimum. And plus getting Yudoka Azubuke a year older and maybe he can play some like that. That to me is a win for them. Uh, getting Eric Pascal for free, essentially. That's a huge win, in my opinion. So they got better. This is, this was, this is a good offseason for Utah. I just worry that it wasn't great in the way they needed it to be great. Yeah. I mean, I think their, their identity remains intact and they're going to give it another shot. And I, I love the Jared Butler pick for them. Like he feels like a jazz player to me. He's going to, be able to shoot the ball, you know, score multiple ways, and kind of fit in there. Um, and talking talking about like rookies that can make an immediate impact. Like as long as his health stuff checks out, like I think that guy can come in and play for them. Yeah, I agree. Today, um, so I really like that for them. And you know, there's there's something to be said for cohesion too, because I do think that this team, like they've they've made some swings in the past. Like they've got. Bogdanovich and I think bringing Jordan Clarkson ended up being like a really nice move for them and Rudy Gay gives them another dimension um, but they have a nice score and they have a long runway too with this team they're kind of locked into who they are you know for the time being so you know I I think they have a high ceiling I'm not as frustrated with them as like a team like Portland because Portland just doesn't like the ceiling's not there the versatility is not there uh, with Utah. Like they've got some versatility. Like Eric Pascal was like pretty good a couple years ago and kind of fell out of the rotation for Golden State this past year. But if they can get something out of him, if they can get something out of Jared Butler, you can add a, another dimension to like what's a really talented Jazz team. And I think they're just going to continue to kind of cook like they have been. And you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see this team in the Western Conference Finals this year. You know they're they're that quality of a team. So I I kind of like them sticking to, to where they're at. Yeah, and I should say, like, I don't mean to, like, overrate Eric Paschal as a player. Like, he's fine. But, yeah, I mean, they, they're not even going to get, like, try a top... Him. Like, you just get to try. Yeah, they're not even going to get a top 40 pick. Like, Golden State is guaranteed to not get a top 40 pick for him. Like, that is hmm. just selling yeah. very low on him to me. Uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing that they did do, and I know that they don't like to play small, but I think that with Gay and with Pascal, if they really wanted to run out like Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Boyan, and Rudy Gay, like that's a legitimate lineup mm-hmm. they can run out now that I think yeah. makes some sense maybe in the right situation in the playoffs. Um, yeah. And Utah fans will are like throwing things at me saying like, we can't take Rudy off the court in the playoffs. We just like, he's, <laughs> he's good in the playoffs. I don't mean to say otherwise. I'm just saying like Rudy isn't going to play 45 minutes per game in the playoffs. And there are probably some moments where playing small might help. Uh, yeah. It, it's, yeah, I think that's that's part of why they traded favors, right? Like some of yeah. those obviously money issues that they were having, but that clearly did not work for them last year. And Rudy Gay's not only a guy that I think you can play small with, but like he obviously fits like the Rudy Rudy combos like way better. So I think I don't know. I, I like I like what they did. I think they they've become a, a slightly more versatile. Yep. Uh, and they they've got some like young player swings in there too, which is for a a team that's set on set its course to just like add like tack on like some young guys and Butler and Pascal, I think is nice. Yeah. It, it's just like trying to figure out like what were the other options for them 
for using that Rudy sure. Gay money. Like, yeah, maybe Alex Crusoe just really wanted to go to Chicago and didn't want to go to Utah, right? Because like he's making mm-hmm. similar amount of money, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe PJ Tucker. Maybe they liked Rudy Gay over PJ Tucker, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, all of this makes sense to me. What they did this summer given their constraints makes sense to me. I think that they got good value on good players who will help them. And you know what? Like if you can keep Hassan Whiteside around the basket in the way that they do within their scheme, you might be able to get a good 10 minutes a night from him or even still. I know that he was bad last year, but like at the minimum, I think it's a worthwhile uh, gamble to take, even though, again, like, I, I don't mean to diminish the fact that he was like really bad last year, uh, playing Sacramento. But even if he doesn't work, you still have Yudoka Azabuke, who seemed at Summer League this year, I thought to be somewhat close to ready for real minutes, uh, in the time that he played. Yeah. I mean, Whiteside at least gives you the, the thought that you can play the same way for 48 minutes, you know, like that's, probably the thought process behind it and also like it's sacramento and this is utah and like the environments like are very very different and so perhaps they can get some good minutes out of white side because he's he's played well for teams in the past like he's given decent backup minutes for teams and so i i don't know like i wouldn't be shocked to see him as the primary backup or as a guy that they boot out of training camp this year um I'll be interested to see what he does, but he's mostly inconsequential. Yep. I would say this team got better. Uh, do I think they will win the Western Conference this year? And I don't know. Maybe. Like, they could. Maybe it'll be Phoenix. Maybe it'll be the Lakers. I, they'll be in the mix, though, for sure. And uh, their team, at least talent-wise, looks marginally better to me. Uh, and they still have yeah. real maneuverability to go out and make a trade this summer or even during the season yeah it's gonna i mean it's it's all about health and we that was that was what helped phoenix a lot you know get to the nba finals i think that very few people would have picked phoenix outside of our our own marcus thompson would have picked phoenix to get to the finals at the beginning of the playoffs but you know it's if utah could have similar luck you know that's that's what it took for them and there's not a clear favorite in the western conference like yep. we talked about the Nuggets as a contender, what they've got to have everything go right for them. Uh, the Clippers are out this year with no Kawhi. The Lakers are probably the one that people are going to pick the most, but yep. they're old and injury prone, and they've like they have Russell Westbrook now. Like, what does that what does that do to your team? Like, let's let's find out. Like, I don't know. So I, I will no say favorite. And, I think. I think the rest thing does almost assure them of being a top three seed in the West. Unless like, again, both Anthony Davis and LeBron get hurt. Yeah. 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 No, I I mean, Russ is going to play hard and play his basketball all season. Like that's just, that's how he's done it every single year of his career. Yeah. Yep. He is a regular season floor raiser for them. And like, look like, I don't know, like they might, figure out a way to get more out of him in the playoffs in a way that makes sense Mm -hmm. that remains to be seen but for sure i think as long as one of lebron or anthony davis stays healthy if not both of them hopefully like god forbid either of them get hurt again because that would be terrible but like yeah i I think that they are a top three seed in the west as long as like lebron and anthony davis play a combined 110 out of you know, 160 games or whatever, maybe 120 out of 160 yeah. games, right? Yeah, no, I agree. And some of some of that also will be they'll be the beneficiaries of the Jamal Murray and the Kawhi Leonard injuries because then yeah. I you think about like who are the other teams? Like I think Utah and Phoenix are going to be really really good regular season teams again. Like those are your top two seeds, and I could see them being the top two seeds in whatever order again. Uh, just because they have some continuity on their side, they've got you know young guys that are still up and coming, and Mitchell and Booker, great. Like I can see them getting there. And then like who's next, right? Yeah. Like I don't know. Like is it Dallas? Like I don't know that Dallas has done enough, but maybe Luca is just enough. Um, is it Golden State? Like is Golden State healthy? Because it could be them. But then after that, like who do you feel confident about? Like I don't. I don't know who I feel confident about after that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I feel confident, I would say, in the Lakers. I feel confident in Utah. I feel confident in Phoenix. Yeah. I think you're right, though. Like, other than like that, that, that's, that, like, that that's might it. be the list. <laughs> Maybe, that honestly, might be the list. I feel pretty good about the Warriors, too, I should say, getting Clay back. Like, as long as sure. Clay is yeah. 89% healthy or whatever, like, yeah, I think I feel mm-hmm. good about the Warriors, too. But. We don't know that health, I guess. So maybe it's impossible to be that confident with the Warriors. Yep. Well, Andrew. Yeah, that's. This is uh, this has been a good time. Let's uh, do this again <laughs> real soon. I would say. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I've been a been a listener for a long time. It's it's fun to be on. Andrew, tell the people where they can find your dulcet tones on the Athletic Podcast Network. <laughs> Uh, you can find me. Uh, I have a local Thunder podcast called Down to Dunk, so you can listen there. And then you can listen to me on the Athletic NBA show on Saturdays uh, during the regular season. And then we'll be every other week uh, on the Saturday Slam and Jam through the off season. So you can listen to that. And then I'm on the Daily Ding and a variety of other things. So, yes. I demand a Slam and Jam trivia rematch. Uh, if you don't listen to the athletic NBA show, people select, uh, just, just unceremoniously dispatched me in the trivia contest that happens on the Saturday slam and jam, just demolished me in a pretty substantial way. Uh, it was super fun though. And I demand a rematch. It wasn't as bad it was as, very it wasn't as, bad as Matt Penny's dem- demolition though. Oh, did, did Penny get wrecked? Oh, he did. Yes. And he oh. was the whole time just he he was just standing in front of the train, just hollering at it the whole time. <laughs> so it was funny. Oh, Matthew Penny. Matthew Penny will be back uh, as soon as these offseason recaps are done. This Game Theory podcast, however, is over. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We'll be back at some point this week with more. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.